Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Armed men adopt four Catholic nuns in southeastern Nigeria. It is the unfortunate reaffirmation of the disgusting situation we have found ourselves as a nation. Nigerians petition President Buhari to prevent the shutdown of 53 media houses. New press freedom concerns in Burkina Faso. Candidates in Zimbabwe complain that electoral commission fees are exorbitant. Efforts are underway in Zambia to repeal the notorious Public Order Act. Today is a day of reflection in Angola before tomorrow's parliamentary and presidential elections. Election campaign is closed. The parties have tried to convince the undecided voters to vote for them. And Malawi's judiciary allows witnesses in the extradition case of Prophet Bushiri to testify in a South African court. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Men in Nigeria have abducted four Catholic nuns in southeastern Imo state. The abduction on Sunday comes just a week after gunmen abducted a Catholic priest and a seminarian in the same area. The victims were released unharmed two days later after paying a ransom in what has become a common criminal activity in Nigeria. Timothy Obiezu reports from the capital, Abuja. The local sisters of Jesus the Savior convent disclosed the latest incident in a statement describing it as sad news. The convent's secretary general, Zita Ihedora, said in the statement that the four nuns were traveling from River State to nearby Imo State for a Thanksgiving mass when they were kidnapped on the highway. She called for prayers for the release of the abducted nuns. Ihedora could not be reached for further comments but the incident appears to be the latest in a series of kidnapped for ransom attacks in the region. Last week, a kidnapped Catholic priest was freed after allegedly paying a huge ransom and spending only two days in detention. Mike Umo is the director of communication at the Catholic Society of Nigeria, CSN. He says the abductions are a reality the church has too often confronted. It is the unfortunate reaffirmation of the disgusting situation we have found ourselves as a nation. And more unfortunate is the reality that the government of the day seems either incapable or unwilling to arrest the situation. We have been speaking against the persistent callous attacks in the country, Nigerian authorities have been struggling to maintain security in many parts of the country and are often criticized for the failures. This month, security forces intensified their assault on armed gangs and have claimed some successes. Last week, the Nigerian Air Force said airstrikes in northwestern Kaduna and Katsina states killed 55 gang members and led to the release of hostages. On Sunday, the local deputy governor of Northwest Zamfara State said a notorious bandit, Belo Turji, has repented and will be working with authorities to restore peace in the region. The new operations followed fresh orders from President Muhammad Buhari to his military chiefs to, quote, deal with terrorists without constraints. Security analyst Darlington Abdullahi said, 
troops are making progress, but will need more cooperation from communities. This kind of thing should not come as a surprise. All you need is uh, the political will to guide the action of the forces. We must understand that uh, most of the things that are happening do not come only from the political masters, but people not uh, supporting the action of military or the people's support for the security agencies is very, very important. Uh, you see the results coming in. In May, the prelate of the Methodist Church of Nigeria was kidnapped in southeastern Abia State. He was freed after paying over $230,000 to his abductors. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. In Nigeria, a civil society group has petitioned President Muhammadu Buhari to prevent the state media regulator, the National Broadcasting Commission, or NBC, from shutting down 53 media houses. The NBC warned last week that the stations will be closed if they refuse to renew their licenses today, Tuesday. It says the stations have failed to pay over $6 million owed in back fees. Kolawale Oluwadere is the deputy director of the Socio-Economic Rights and Accountability Project, also known as SERAP. He tells viewers Peter Clotty that the move would undermine Nigeria's constitution, which protects free speech. The aim is to stop the intention of the National Broadcasting Corporation to carry out this directive to shut down these broadcast stations. This is against the backdrop of... Uh, According to the NBC, the failure of these broadcast stations to pay the licensing fees or renew same uh, to operate. But we find that this action may not necessarily be lawful, particularly given the context of how important uh, freedom of expression is to Nigerians and the role they would play in the upcoming uh, 2023 elections. And there are also other ancillary issues too as to the nature of the fees itself, the quantum of the fees, how much notice they've been given. And so we think that the benefit of having people exercise their freedom of expression to have access to information from these media platforms much more outweigh whatever interest the regulatory agencies may be trying to protect. And that is also against the background of what we've seen as the abuse of power by NBC time and again. Bakola, some people are of the opinion that these stations knew what they were getting themselves into. In order to operate, you have to meet certain uh, regulations. If they fail to meet the regulations, including the payment of fees, then it is their problem and not necessarily undermining the freedom of speech or expression as protected by the Constitution. How do you respond to that? And yes, the, the media stations are aware uh, of some of the obligations, including payment to renew their license. But we must understand that freedom of expression is a constitutional provision, which naturally, by the Constitution itself, will prevail against any other law, including the NBC Act itself and any other, any other subsidiary legislation. This is not to challenge the mandate of the NBC to regulate the broadcast industry. It is to state clearly what the law says, that that regulation is to emphasize and to enable the freedom of expression, not to stifle it. Serap argues that the threat to shut down the broadcast stations was neither necessary nor proportionate, and if carried out, would offend the legal principles of equity and equality of access to mass communication. What does that mean? 
It means that the provisions of the fundamental human rights as it is in the Nigerian constitution uh, can be only be derogated from according to well-known international standards and even as contained in this constitution. And some of these three-part tests, which is well-known in international law, would mean that leg uh, legality, proportionality, and necessity. And so in this case, we would ask, is it legal? While the NDC has the powers to regulate the broadcast industry, this action cannot be said to be legal as it, confers, it does not conform with the statutory provisions of freedom of expression. And so we ask again, is it necessary? Not necessary. This uh, action or this threat on the part of the NDC is not necessary. There are better ways that the NDC can use to uh, ensure that these broadcast houses pay their dues. But this mass shutdown is not necessary in this context. Again, within the sphere within which they operate, the present social economic situation in Nigeria and the upcoming three elections. And thirdly, is this a proportionate note? The interest of Nigerians to freedom of expression uh, outweighs whatever concerns or regulation that the NDC is trying to protect. Kola Ware Oluwadere is the Deputy Director of the Socio-Economic Rights and Accountability Project of Nigeria. He was speaking with viewers Peter Clotty. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Butty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd. Today, Tuesday, is the day of reflection in Angola following the conclusion of campaigning on Monday for the country's August 24th parliamentary and presidential elections. The Opposition National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, led by Adalberto Costa Jr., held its final rally in the capital, Luanda. The ruling popular movement for the liberation of Angola, MPLA, led by President Joao Lorenzo, held its final campaign event last Saturday. Myra Fernandez of VOS Portuguese Service is in Luanda. She tells me Angolan opposition leader Costa Jr. called for a free and fair vote on Tuesday. Election campaign, it's closed. The parties have tried to convince the undecided voters to vote for them. And the last one to do it was UNITA. UNITA held the, the rally on Monday in Luanda, that is the biggest polling place in Angola, to about 12,000 people that were present at the Kazeng neighborhood, right outside of Luanda. It was a huge, huge crowd. People were yelling, my president, it's time to change. The time is now. They were really, really into the energy that uh, Mr. Albert Costa Jr. has been bringing to this race. Myra, so Adalberto Costa Jr., what was his message on his final day of campaigning to the people of Angola? What did he talk about? Adalberto Costa Jr. asked the confidence, the trust from the voters. He asked for a free and fair election. He promised that if he wins, he will leave the party's leadership to separate the state and partidarism. It's something that he says that MPLA wasn't able to do for these 47 years that MPLA has been in power. Adalbert Costa Jr., similar to uh, Mr. João Lorenzo that had a rally on Saturday the 20th, also promised to fight corruption, promised a transparent government and a more inclusive government. I read an article where Alberto Costa Jr. is talking about the ruling party being anti-democracy. 
suggesting in that article that he might even challenge the results, but yet he says he has confidence in the people of Angola. What does that mean? So today at this uh, last rally, Alberto Costa Jr. touched that subject, subject again, and he said that the ruling party has been holding the state institutions hostage. And that is because you need uh, delegates to monitor the election on the 24th, haven't get their credentials yet. The same thing happened to the civil society movement Muday. This movement has been very active in this process, and they are all still waiting to get their credentials to be able to monitor the voting on the 24th of August. You need to file an official complaint on the 22nd at the Constitutional Court exactly because of that. Are there any international observers uh, in Angola for this election? Oh, there are plenty of them, actually. At the rally, there were the CPLP, the Community of Countries of uh, Portuguese Language, also SADEC are here, African Union, all of them are here. And there's a lot of expectation from the voters towards the, the international observers. They really hope the international observers to be some kind of check and balance. Myra, as usual, thank you so much again for your reporting. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much, James, for having me. That's Myra Fernandez of VOA's Portuguese service in the Angolan capital, Luanda, covering Wednesday's elections. The Zimbabwe Electoral Commission's decision to raise election fees for candidates from $1,000 in 2018 to 20000 has sparked a debate in the country with most opponents saying this will shrink the ever-diminishing democratic space in the country. The Information and Communications Director of the ruling ZANU-PF, Tafazwa Mungwadi, tells Capes Dube of VOA Zimbabwe service that the party has not yet discussed the new fees. We have not set down as a committee or from the director of the election so far in the ruling party to deliberate on that decision in terms of what it means for us. And we have not been able to probe the wisdom or lack of fit for the decision that has been made thus far. So we cannot say we disagree with it or that we agree with it as yet. I don't know exactly the reason we are putting forward for that. We respect decisions, we respect positions taken by the Zimbabwe Election Commission as an independent referee. Some political parties are saying they're going to challenge this in court. Is that uh, the way to go? Well, that's their constitutional right. You know that our judiciary is an independent judiciary, which is, of course, the final arbiter, and whose decisions are binding on everyone, both all of us, them appealing to the election commission. So the decision of the judiciary, I'm sure, in that sense, then for them, will bring finality on this matter as this way. But uh, I must say that as a ruling party, we have not taken that course because we haven't, like I said, shut down to deliberate on that. Tafazwa Mugwadi is the ZANU-PF Information and Communication Director. He was speaking from Horari with Gibbs Dube of VOA's Zimbabwe Service. Gibbs also spoke with lawmaker Kukaka Pulu of the Opposition Citizens Coalition for Change about the new fees for election candidates. The fees that have been charged are excessive because it's ordinary. The average Zimbabwean cannot afford to pay those fees. I mean, if you look at how much people are earning in Zimbabwe, that's the income. None of those people can afford uh, those fees quite easily. 
If you look at the MPs who are in Parliament themselves, and you are, you are looking at them simply on the basis of the money they earn from Parliament, they would never be able to afford those fees. So when fees are like that, we can easily come to the conclusion that they are unreasonable. And if the fees are unreasonable, they then contravene one's right to vote and to participate in politics as provided for in the Constitution. What are the chances of uh, succeeding in terms of challenging this in court? I think that ultimately when it is challenged, I think any court would find that the fees are unreasonable. But then the, the issue with challenges is that we must not always jump the gun and rush to file court actions. We must just see, let them play out in Parliament. For example, it must go to the PLC, it must come to the House if necessary. And thereafter, if it goes through, I suppose once you've uh, exhausted those domestic remedies, then you can take it up. Kuka Kapulu is a Zimbabwe lawmaker of the Opposition Citizens Coalition for Change, led by Nelson Chamisa. He was speaking from Bulawayo with Gibbs Duby of Viewers Zimbabwe Service. In Zambia, politicians and civil society are working to annul a contentious law from colonial times, the Public Order Act. Critics say the legislation, which strictly regulates freedom of assembly and public protest, is used to suppress dissent and violates the Constitution. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka. The Act regulates assemblies, public meetings and processions by providing that every person who intends to assemble gives seven days' notice. Since its enactment, the Public Order Act has been used by police to block gatherings which the party in government perceives to be unfriendly, especially when such meetings are organized by opposition political parties in the run-up to elections. In certain instances, police have used the act to brutalize supporters of opposition political party and restrict peaceful protests. The government has authorized a review of the act with submissions from all stakeholders, including non-governmental organizations. Once submissions are finalized, the findings will go to Parliament for a two-thirds majority vote to repeal or modify the legislation. A consortium of more than 50 NGOs focusing on governance says a proposed review of the law is long overdue. McDonald Chipenzi is a spokesperson for the NGOs. We cannot anymore rely on the discretion of the law or discretion of those that are in power. We can only be free and indeed free at last if the shackles, the legal shackles of the Public Order Act and many other laws that have impeded our enjoyment of our freedom of expression and the freedom of assembly, association and movement are done away with. However, former ruling party national chairperson Christopher Piri is against the appeal of the Public Order Act, saying it's useful in maintaining law and order. So in as much as we are trying to make the changes, we should always be aware of the consequences that might come. We might have rebel leaders rising, we might have people grouping, mobilizing, organizing themselves to destabilize the state. So I think it's not a good thing to, to make any change to the Public Order Act. If there will be changes, but we need to make sure that we reserve the dignity of the country. The Zambia Law Development Commission is a statutory body which revises and makes recommendations on social, political ideals that should be incorporated into legislation. The commission is mandated to receive submissions from stakeholders. Once the submissions are finalized, 
The proposed law will need a two-thirds majority to be passed in Parliament by the end of the year. I'm Kathy Short for VOA News in Lusaka, Zambia. A magistrate's court in Malawi has ruled that witnesses in the extradition case of Prophet Shepard Bushiri may give their evidence while in a South African court instead of being forced to travel to Malawi to testify. Lawmakers for Bushiri want witnesses to come physically to Malawi for the case, but the state council says doing so would be time-consuming and costly. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Bushiri and his wife Mary skipped bail in November 2020 on several charges they are facing in South Africa, including rape, fraud, and money laundering, which Bushiri denies. South African prosecutors have since been trying to extradite them. However, lawyers for Bushiri wanted witnesses to come physically to Malawi for their testimony, saying they could not base their defense on statements made through another court. State lawyers say it would be costly to have up to 15 witnesses from South Africa to testify in Malawi. They also argue that the victims of alleged rape and sexual assault by Shepard Bushiri would lose the support they would need from their families and psychologists. In her ruling on the matter, Monday, Resident Magistrate Madalito Koswechimaza said South Africa as competent courts that can record all testimonies to be used in Malawi. Hape Kayun is the director of public prosecutions in Malawi. What it means is that uh, from the order of the court, there is no need for the witnesses to come from South Africa and that uh, the witnesses will be testifying in South Africa before the court there and that uh, the two fugitive offenders are free to instruct lawyers in South Africa to cross-examine and uh, questions uh, on any issues to do with their witnesses. And the same depositions uh, through the diplomatic channel are sent back for purposes of the, the proceedings here. The ruling is part of an extradition case in which the South African government wants Bushiri sent back to South Africa to face charges. Malawi's magistrate's court has now referred the matter to the High Court to order a court in South Africa to physically examine the witnesses. The court has uh, granted 90 days within which it has to send the referral to the High Court and uh, for an order that uh, the High Court order goes to South Africa, that uh, South Africa takes down all the depositions and when the depositions are done, the same are sent back to Malawi for purposes of uh, uh, extradition proceedings here. Bushiri's lawyer, Wapona Kita, says they are happy with the ruling because the witnesses will physically appear and be examined before the court. However, on his Facebook post Monday, Bushiri, a leader of Enlightened Christian Gathering Church, said he hopes this time, for the first time in four years, the witnesses will show up. I am Lamek Masina for VOA News in Blanta, Malawi. And that's it for this Tuesday, August 23rd edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can catch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I'm James Barty in Washington, wishing you will have a great Tuesday. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. 
host of VOA's Encounter. Join me and two advocates from the world of politics, public policy, or academia debating critical and controversial issues of our day, bringing depth, perspective, and insight to the world around us. You can listen to Encounter on Saturdays and Sundays. That's Encounter every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat and dumbolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. 